Jimmy sang the song, at least the entry of the song, the beginning of the song was uh, old, uh, give me that old time religion. And I want to talk about that today, um, but probably in a different way. Um, in World War I, there was a soldier who was known as probably the greatest soldier of war, although we had some great generals and other people who were very famous. One man stood out. His name was Alvin York. He was a sergeant eventually, and he won the Congressional Medal of Honor. He also won the Croix de Guerre from, uh, from France. He won five, five bronze stars. He was an amazing guy from the hills of Tennessee, effectively uh, illiterate and had raised uh, his nine brothers and sisters with uh, his mother because his father died at a young age. But he was an Henri guy. Do you know Henri? Do you know what Henri is? He was not very nice. He was raised in the church, but he was not very nice. And so, so much so that everybody in the community knew that about him. And they, they kept their distance from him because he carried a double barrel shotgun all the time. And he was a crack shot uh, with a rifle. And uh, you don't have to be a crack shot with a shotgun, but uh, he was good at both. And he was uh, out in a rainstorm on a Sunday, I mean a driving rainstorm, and he was struck by lightning. He was knocked off his horse. He thought the horse was dead, and, and he thought he was too. And his shotgun was split right down the middle, so the barrels were going in the opposite direction. He came to himself... And he started walking in the rain. I mean, a downpour, lightning going on. And he began to hear voices in the distance. It's the old-time religion. Is it good enough for you? Well, Paul found out he was wrong. You know, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees certainly discovered they were wrong. And that was a real old-time religion based on the Old Testament and the law. So you can kind of go down the list of people that are mentioned in the song. I, I love the old-time religion. I grew up, my grandmother put on gloves and a fancy hat to go to church. I thought that was special. I thought it was amazing. My mother did too. I could just see them walking out to the car with their gloves and hats on and going to church. It was a very special occasion. Everybody dressed to the nines or whatever the best that they had was and went to church. And I remember that, I cherish that, but that's not today, is it? No, no, it's not today. Not if you go in most modern churches, most contemporary churches, that's not happening. So what about old? Is old uh, good? Well, you know, we have to look in the mirror sometimes, and, and when we do, we're not very convinced that old is good. You remember what? Marvin Zinner used to say about it. I'm not going to say it, but he said it. Um, being old. I think you're old when you start liking accordion music. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. I think you're old when you're asleep, but other people are worried that you're dead. <laughs> Here's one of my favorites. I think you're old when you light the candles on your birthday cake and a group of campers come and form a circle around the cake and sing Kumbaya. That's old. I think you're old when your insurance company starts sending you calendars one month at a time. 
I think you're old when your recliner has more options on it than your car. <laughs> you know what I'm, some of you know what I'm talking about. I think you're old when you go to the cafeteria. You're already old if you go to the cafeteria and you complain that the jello is too tough. <laughs> I think you're old when you go to Outback Steakhouse and they ask you if you want your steak pureed. <laughs> I think you're old if you've got more hair in your ears than you do on your head. <laughs> I qualify. Man went to the big city for the first time, really, in many, many years, and he, he and his wife, they were older, I and mean, they had a son with them. Their other children had grown up. They're in the bank, and she's gone up to the counter to make a transaction, and he and the son are standing there near an elevator. They had never been on an elevator, weren't really even acquainted with what an elevator was. And the doors opened, and a very elderly lady haltingly walked on the elevator, and the doors closed. Shortly thereafter, the doors opened, and a very beautiful young lady walked out. Whereupon the man said to his son, go get your mother. Doesn't really work that way, does it? Give me that old-time religion. It, it, it was good enough for them, and it's good enough for me. Let me say this. I think we have to communicate timeless truths in a way that God connects with contemporary humans. We do have to talk to people in a way that they will understand. We do have to relate to them in a way that will understand. No compromises here but practicality. And that's been happening all the time, hasn't it? Since Jesus showed up, you remember in, in Matthew's gospel, he says things like, you may have heard, or you, you heard them say, but I say to you. And he goes down a chronicle of things like divorce and swearing and murder and adultery, what we consider all levels of sins, but he says, you have heard about this because, my goodness, the, the Jewish people heard all about it. The, the law was all they ever heard, really, when they went to synagogue, when they went to temple. And so he's saying, you've heard all that, and that is the law, and it's not gone away. It's just as true now as it was when it was issued. But I say to you, there's a new way of redemption. There's a new way to God, and I am it, he said. And that's what he was saying. So we have to communicate that way. Jesus was with us and is with us, and so he wants us to communicate in a way that makes a difference to the people who he was talking to. You have heard it said, and then he proceeded to talk to them. It says in the song, give me that old-time religion, it was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for your mother, good for your father. It was good for the prophet Daniel. I like this one. It will take us all to heaven. If we're ready, it'll take us all to heaven. Give me that old-time religion. It makes me love everybody. This is a Psalm 80, 18. Then we will not, we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. We do need revival. And, and I can remember going to revivals when I was a kid. They, they lasted a week long. Sometimes if things were going well, it lasted longer than that. Can you imagine that, going to church for two weeks in a row? Or 
You know, Billy Graham started a crusade in Southern California. It went on for months. I mean, months. He had to literally go back to his room, hotel room, and write a sermon for the next day, every day, for months. Most pastors or preachers would just be shuddering at the prospect of having to do such a thing. He was a young man. He didn't have a whole stack of sermons, and so he had to do that every night. It went on for months. A revival in Southern California. When's the last time we had something like that in this country? Well, we need revival. Psalm 18, 80, 18. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. When God created the world, we have it chronicled, of course, in Genesis. Right after that, we know what happened. The wheels came off, first two kids, one of them killed the other. I mean, we got off to a really horrific start. But if you go through the whole chronicle of human history to the very end, in the next to last chapter of the Bible, in the Revelation, the Bible says, I am doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. So we go from creation where God said it is good. Everything is good. I created it and it's good. We got off the rails. We've been off ever since. And then the end, it's going to be new. New. Well, it was a new thing then. It's going to be a new thing again. I, I, think, I think we have a carpenter king who's building us a better place. It'll take us all to heaven. That's what the song says. And it will if we're ready to go. I've said many times heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. So it's all about new, isn't it? Old time religion faith of our fathers and our mothers and Daniel and Paul and Silas. So crucial to who we are today and the horse we rode in on. The horse we rode in on. But we become new when we become Christians, followers, followers of Jesus, followers of the Lord. And that's the way it should be. But what about all those people out there who don't know about the old and don't care about the new. How are we going to reach them? Are we going to reach them? I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've been around a while, and I have to tell you, I've never seen the world quite like it is right now. I'm not saying it's never been this way, or even worse in some cases. I'm just saying we're alive now, and, it, and it's in bad shape. I mean, I'm not just talking about plagues, and I'm not just talking about wars and rumors of wars, and weather that seems to be completely haywire, and all the other things that are happening in the world today. I mean, when you can have a show about movies, and somebody runs up on the stage and knocks somebody else, I mean, it, we're, we're living in incredible times. I mean, not much happens that we don't know about quickly, and do you really want to know? Really? Well, give me that old-time religion. It is good enough for me, but the truth is we've got much more that we need to do now to reach people for Christ. Communicating timeless truths about God in a way that connects with humans. 
Jesus was constantly challenging the status quo. That would have been the old-time religion of his day. And, and he wanted people to stop what they were doing, to think about their own spiritual situation, and he spoke in a way that everyone could understand. That's what we need to do. You've heard these things. I'm telling you these things. It's an old-time religion, but we've got to communicate it in a different way. What is spiritual growth? I mean, some of us had labored in the vineyard for quite a while. I'm looking at the color of your hair, and you're looking at the color of mine. We've been around a while. Have we spiritually grown? Are we at the point where we can share with others what we received perhaps years ago? 16 years old for me, I'm 71. It's been a long time, humanly speaking, since I became a follower of Jesus. What about spiritual growth? Is spiritual growth how old you are? No, I've known some kids. I was a youth pastor for 14 years. I've known some kids that at the age of 14 were some of the most spiritually mature people I've ever seen in my life. Truly, they, were, they walked with God. So age is not the yardstick for this. We ought to know better at our age. We ought to be more prepared at our age. And many of you are. I know you are. Is it how much you know? No, how much you know could really complicate things, frankly. Uh, I've said this expression before, and I, and I meant it at the time. I, I just, you know, you can know too much. You say, well, that's not possible. Well, it is about some things. It is about certain situations. We can just, it gets in the way of what we need to do. You know, I can know a lot about people I've encountered over the years. I can know a lot about them, so much so that I'm even hesitant to talk to them because I know what I'm going to get back. Well, the truth is, that gets in the way. I still have an obligation to try to minister to them, to love them, take care of them, speak to them, share the faith with them. I have that obligation. So how much you know is not necessarily a good yardstick of spiritual growth. How about how much time you spend in a place like this? Oh, I love to go to God's house. For anything, really. When I was a teenager, I was by myself. My parents didn't go to church in those days. My brothers certainly didn't go. My grandmother did when I was near where she lived. So I, I would borrow my mother's keys and I would drive myself uh, to church. Now, that was probably pretty unusual then. But I didn't know enough to know that not everybody shows up every time they open the doors. So I did. I mean, I wound up in some WMU meetings. I, I, I you know, they, and they were nice to me. <laughs> they looked like, what are you doing here? But you know, I, I just didn't know enough not to. It's like the people who give to God's church, not knowing that other people don't. You see, you can know too much. And the truth is, what you know can sometimes get in the way of what you need to do what you know to do. And it's not always how much time you spend in church. Now, I'll be the last person on earth to encourage you not to come to church and be a part of a church. If you live in this area and you don't have a church, home, you're welcome. Come anytime. We'll welcome you. There are other churches represented here. They'd love to see you too. So that's not necessarily a yardstick of spiritual growth. It's not. And I could go down and list some other things. But let me tell you what I think is the, the real mark of spiritual growth. Not always the old-time religion. It's a new day. 
I think the yardstick and the marker for spiritual growth is how much do you love? How much do you really love other people? How much do you really care about other people? Because that's what Jesus was about. That's why he came. That's the kind of that's the kind of ministry that he conducted during his time here on earth. He was about loving people. And that, in every sense of that word, because, I mean, how many people did he encounter? I mean, the Bible is very, very, very uh, concise about the encounters that he had. Now, many of them were a one-time only. I mean, we, as far as we know, he did not see them again. But all these encounters, why do you suppose the Bible chronicles it that way? Jesus, in his three, three and a half years of ministry, was about the business. I must be about my father's business. And he was encountering people in every conceivable kind of circumstances you can imagine. I want you to look at this uh, verse of Scripture with me. Habakkuk 3.2. Habakkuk 3.2. What, what page is that on? Yeah, 3, 827, 827. To turn there, because I, I want you to look at it. It's actually on, on 827 and 828, Habakkuk 3, 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. There we are, years. Old time religion in a new day. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Make it known. And that's where we come in. Making his work known. Today. In, in a way that people today understand. We have a lot of people that we could mentor if we got busy and decided to do it. Jesus once encountered a woman at a well and he loved her in a short time in a way that her five husbands never did. Jesus encountered a young lady laying on the ground in the middle of a bunch of people with rocks that were about to kill her because they were legalists. And they knew what the penalty of their law was. And he forgave her and told her to sin no more. Jesus hung on a cross beside a thief and said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. While the other thief mocked both of them and the people on the ground did the same thing. That's the old-time religion. And it's just as relevant today as it ever was. Here's what I think it means. We need to find a way to talk about moral absolutes in a way that doesn't declare war on everyone else. I think we need to open doors to everybody no matter what their ethnicity is, what their tongue is, what people group they're from, no, no, no indications of what their economic status is, we need to rescue the perishing and care for the dying right now, wherever we are. We need to pick up the pieces of broken marriages and restore families 
We need to weep when there's tragedy, even if it's on the other side of the world and people are losing everything. We need to remember that everybody has a past. Everybody. And our present choices can result in deep, deep pain. We need to sit with the sick and the dying. We need to visit those in prisons and jails. We need to give up the closest parking places at HEB. In fact, we need to carry the groceries for the people who have trouble carrying them out themselves. And we need to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Give me that old-time religion. Today. Today. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. If they're going to be known, we're going to have to do the telling. Old-time religion, new day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the testimony of all the saints that have gone before us. Where would we be without them? But Lord, use us today. If it is the HEB parking lot. Or it's somebody we know right now that's hurting and needs hope, needs care, needs love. That's the real sign of spiritual growth. Yes, Lord, we love the old religion, the faith of our fathers and our mothers. Lord, we're many of us fathers and mothers. Many, we, we are here now for just such a time as this. So I pray, Lord, that you will use us and you will give us wisdom and sensitivity to know that we are needed and to meet that need. Thank you, Lord. Help us to make you known by whatever means is necessary. It is an old-time religion. We are in a new day. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.